Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. On this show, I interview a lot of recovering addicts, and I also do anyone who has like a survivor story. Today, I have someone that I've been wanting to interview since I read your book, and we have a mutual friend, shout out to Christopher G., and I have Richard Bressler. So, Richard, you are a six-degree black belt? I am. And your book, Worth Defending, incredible. It was really inspiring to me because I think that I just, it, I think it was the book to push me to do jujitsu, you know, because like I had read Hickson's book right before and then I read yours and it made me understand like the longevity that like jujitsu isn't something you just like get good at, that it's just like a long term thing because in your book, you really see how much you struggle with it in the beginning for a long time or thinking that you're not getting better. And you've been doing it for like years. That is true, but you also have to find the right teacher for you. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have the right teacher, and I've had a f- quite a few people reach out to me wanting to quit just because of being pressured to roll more. Mm-hmm. And I just, and I, I was never, ever pressured to roll more. Yeah, and I think that, after I had read your book and I had read Hickson's book, that when I walked into a jiu-jitsu studio for the first time, I kind of knew in my mind what jiu-jitsu was supposed to be. And I felt comfortable in knowing, like, how it originated and how, like, you had learned. I don't know. I felt co- confident in knowing that, hey, look, it's supposed to be this way. Because I think Elio was saying, I had said that he believes that people should do, like, 40 privates before they ever roll. You know, because back then, I think that... It wasn't just like, hey, go spar. And I think now a lot of gyms probably do, right? I don't know if it was Elio that said that, but I know that the way that their side of the family was set up, they Mm -hmm. wanted to do private classes just to get you set Mm -hmm. for 
what's to come. And learn the basics, yeah. Yeah, and I remember after 40 half-hour privates, mm-hmm. I got my blue belt, and I was just like, what the hell? Yeah. I mean, because I didn't understand. I just went, why am I getting a promotion? And what Horian said is he said, you're three times more effective than you were when you walked in. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Blue Belt really started my journey mm-hmm. because when I started always supervised, I was still doing private classes, but there were other students who would come in, people would come in from Brazil and we'd put in situational sparring. That's when I realized how much I sucked mm-hmm. because it was the beginning of the journey, yeah. but it was still always supervised where the, the reason that I don't want people to spar in the beginning and other people shouldn't is because of... It's not supervised enough. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, like this gym is, you know, a decent size, but like there are some gyms that are huge that there's 40, 50 people sparring at the same time. There's no way to really. And in big gyms like that, and that's one of the reasons why the boys over at Gracie University mm-hmm. have done such a great job, just because of that they have their combatives class and there's no sparring and that. I think at least six months. Mm -hmm. And I encourage people not to spar. And I'll tell them, I'll say, look, if you're going to spar, I said, you can spar with specific people if they want to. Mm -hmm. You know, because I have a guy that just started who's a wrestler. And the guy's a big, strong guy. And I don't want him to spar with some other beginner who's lightweight because people people tend to use what they have. Mm -hmm. And if you have speed and strength, you're going to use it. And you don't even realize... Even if you're 50 pounds more, you don't realize how much power Mm -hmm. and how much mass that you have over that person. Like I appreciated uh, when I started that my coach would tell me like, hey, you can't spar yet. You know, like a part of me wanted to, but like I respected the fact that he was like, hey, you're, you know, you got to keep coming until you can spar, you know? I kind of like the idea of like that it's not so egotistical. And I think that's what like, really attracted me to jujitsu is like the technicality of it because like I work out, I go to the gym, like I know I have size and strength, but like to me, what was so interesting is when like someone a quarter of my size would demolish me on the mat and like totally whoop my ass without using much strength, you know, and they weren't like that much faster than me or anything. They just had so many interesting techniques that I just didn't know what to do. You know, I remember like that drive home of like getting my ass kicked from like a girl who weighed like 140 (laughs) pounds. And sometimes they wouldn't even be like purple belts or black belts or anything. It would be like a girl who had been training like eight months. You know, you see like, wow, imagine if in eight months I could like learn those techniques and have my size and strength. Jiu-Jitsu is so, it's crazy how good you can get because, you know, when I first started, I would roll with someone who was also a white belt, but they've been a white belt for maybe a year. And they're so much better than me. Right. And then I would just be like, just imagine what like a purple belt would be. And it would like, it was mind blowing that somebody could be that much better than you. And with little effort, that's the thing is like, it didn't seem like it took them much effort. It was just that they had these, learn these techniques. Right. And use leverage and, you know, just like different moves that were just mind blowing to me. Yeah, definitely. It's quite an amazing art. Mm -hmm. And I think especially if taught the right way by somebody who really is a good teacher. Mm -hmm. Years ago, I was like interested in jujitsu and my friend was trying to get me to go and he had stopped going because he said that he would just keep getting injured and that the whole like 
culture of the gym that he was going to was just like spar, 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 don't be a pussy type of mentality. He didn't like. Like, I'm grateful, like, the gym that I go to is, like, not like that at all, you know? Like, there's a lot of camaraderie and there's a lot of, like, hey, like, I'm going to teach you what to do. And, like, I don't go in there like a meathead. Like, I want to learn. Like, I'm interested right. in learning the technique. I don't, Like, I don't care if, like, you're able to tap. Like, I know you could tap me, bro, <laughs> you know? And I know you're half my size. And I know, like, you know, you've been doing this way longer than I have. Like, I know I suck, you know? And I, I'm just interested in learning. Right. I think reading your book set the tone for me to start jujitsu without feeling like pressured or that like someone was going to bully me or that like I wasn't going to be good at it or something like that. Right. And the book you're referring to is called Worth Defending. Worth it's defending. available on Amazon. Yes. Check uh, it that out. was the commercial right there. <laughs> there you okay. go. <laughs> Worth Defending on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. And you also have an audiobook too. Yeah. Audiobook, audiobook. and Kindle. There you go. There's no excuses. No excuse. Yeah, check it out if you and, are And the thing it. is, for me, like we were talking earlier, mm -hmm. it's something that is, I become very proud of. And the feedback mm -hmm. that I'm getting is, it's amazing. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it was like, it was short and like funny and interesting. And it's like a true story of like the Karate Kid. Like, like the Karate Kid is like someone from America who learns some foreign martial art and then like goes and competes in some tournament. And like with you, it's a real story about how a gringo, right? Like a white guy <laughs> got into the birth of Brazilian jiu-jitsu in America. Can you talk about how you first got introduced into jiu-jitsu? And what was your life like before jiu-jitsu? Can you paint that picture? My life before jiu-jitsu was... I was in the fast food business, mm -hmm. a family business that I've been doing. I started this business when I was maybe just before my 10th birthday. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad came out from Chicago. They were in the ice cream business, Bressler's ice cream, Bressler's 33 flavors. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they were pretty well known in the Midwest. My dad opened up a chain of fast food restaurants. They were called Henry's. Mm -hmm. And because his brother who died his name was Henry. My dad opened up these restaurants. So he was the baby of the family, couldn't get along with his brothers, moved out west. I thought that this was going to be what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. But after a while, for me to stay involved in a business like this was, it wasn't feeding my soul. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, I was making some money, but it was just the same thing over and over again. Yeah, hi, hamburger, fries, and a Coke, hamburger, fries, and a chocolate shake. You know, and then ordering stuff. Yeah, it was it's just, like, like uh, that. They actually use that as like um, deterrent to people in uh, high school. Like, oh, would you like fries with that? Like, that's <laughs> what your future is going to be like. Right. It was the kind of business that's a stepping stone business. Unless mm -hmm. you get into management and you like doing that business, I really didn't care much for it. It, mm -hmm. it wasn't. I knew I wanted to be in some kind of service. Mm -hmm. I couldn't make a connection with the people because how it's long did you have up. with them? Yeah. Yeah, you like have them minutes. for, you know, two minutes to get their food. Okay, thank you very much. Next. Thank you very much. Next. Mm -hmm. It's There's no real deep connection. And, and that, it didn't sit well with me. Anyways, so. Were you like a timid, shy kid? Like, what was you like? I was more, I was more on the, the, the shy, insecure side. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't fit. You know, I mean, I, I was kind of pudgy, didn't really exercise and then when I wanted to lose weight, I thought the problem was just if I lose weight, mm -hmm. you know, because all the other kids, you know, back when in junior high school, the president's council on physical fitness, mm -hmm. you know, 
I couldn't do more than a, a pull-up. Oh, I couldn't wow. run, you know, they would, they'd run like 600 yards or something in a certain amount of time. I was coming last. Mm -hmm. So I went like, okay, you know, I told mom and dad, you know, I want to lose weight. And you know, so they took me to the doctor and the doctor gave me Dexedrine, which is speed. Oh, wow. That's what they gave you back then. To lose weight. Yeah. So I lost 25 pounds in a month. Mm -hmm. Hardly ate anything. Wasn't hungry. I always had dry mouth. What I found out that I lost the weight, but I was now a skinny out of shape kid. <laughs> so I went into weightlifting, but I couldn't go into regular weightlifting because I was too weak. I had to go in what they called corrective. Mm -hmm. They had guys with polio and deformities. Wow. Not to put people like that down, but I couldn't get into a regular class. I didn't have any kind of any other kind of reason. It's just that I was weak. Mm-hmm. So to be in there, it really didn't do much for my self-esteem. Yeah. But I looked, I started doing like lifting weights and whatever in that class. And I got strong within six months. Hmm. And I walked up to the pull-up bar where I could only do one. And I, instead of jumping up and cheating for the, I just hung and did 10. Wow. And I vowed I would never be out of shape again. Mm -hmm. Not that, you know, I'm a, you know, I, I can still do chin-ups to this day. I used to. You know, I was kind of obsessed. I used to do six sets of 15 chins, mm -hmm. run a couple miles a day, and then play some handball. You know, and this was in my 20s. Anyways, but getting back to work, so I wasn't out of shape anymore, but wasn't happy. And then I started, you know, I got started smoking a little bit of pot, and it was kind of fun. And then one day I was at work, and a guy who worked in a shop in Topanga Plaza said, Hey, mm -hmm. Richard, come on over on your break. I go, what? He goes, man, I got some cocaine. Wow. And I took a line of cocaine. And I was like, wow, man, this is great. Mm -hmm. You know, and then I went back to work. And 15 minutes later, I called him. I go, dude, can I come back? Mm -hmm. You know, so I start doing that. And then a few months later, I found, you know, I got a Quaalude. And I was like, wow, these things are just because it totally made me uninhibited. Yeah. So my life became about, you know, I would just do Quaaludes and do a little bit of cocaine and smoke pot. And, you know, it was fun at first. It was like partying. Mm -hmm. But after a while, every time I got stressed out, you know, I just want to do another quaalude. Yeah. Yeah. And the things that cause you stress start to get less and less and less. And the things that cause you stress are becoming more because, because you're using. you can't. Yeah. That's right. Because you're, you're uh -huh. getting depressed from the side effect of the drugs. Mm-hmm. I wasn't very happy. I was operating. I left my dad's business and opened my own with some with him and a couple mm -hmm. other partners in a mall in, in Hawthorne, which is not too far from here. It just made me miserable. I won. I w it was culture shock being in the valley going down mm -hmm. there. Was, it was uh, just a different mentality of people. And how many years did that go on for until you met Horian? We went down in 76. I met Horian in the summer of 79. Okay. So it wasn't too long. But I went through, I mean, probably the worst time in my life, the worst drug binge from, mm -hmm. from when I went to Hawthorne. And I lived in Hermosa Beach. Mm -hmm. Just so happens I lived a half a mile from where I would move to with Horian. Now, were you like partying, surfing, or? Wasn't partying, surfing. I was just partying. Just partying. Just... I lived, I lived uh -huh. like two blocks from the boardwalk in Hermosa Beach. Wow. And it was like mm -hmm. summertime there was wild. Yeah. 
I would be, I was never an angry drunk or not drunk, but drug person, but I was sloppy, mm-hmm. you know, I, because it made, they made me loving mm-hmm. one quaalude. I mean, I would go out <laughs> and, and just like, I was so smooth. Yeah. You know, I used to pick up a lot of people say, you want to get some women, give Richard a quaalude and let mm-hmm. him go to work. The problem is one quaalude was great, but two hours later, you'd have to do another one. Mm-hmm. And then a couple hours after that, so if you plan on parting for a while, and then I became kind of like where before I could walk them and be smooth and tell them how attractive they are or whatever. I go, hi, I'm going to start drawing yourself. Yeah. I, you know, the, the, the Wolf of Wall Street, I don't know if you yeah, ever saw that. The Quaalude scene was very, I couldn't get the words out. I mm-hmm. had the thoughts. And then, you know, one woman came up to me after a party and she goes, Richard, the next day she said, you're really a nice guy. But she goes, when you take quaaludes, you're an asshole. Hmm. And I went, and that just cut, I mean, yeah, through Because me. it's like now why I'm doing the drugs is actually becoming more of the problem. That was my life. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't very happy. I was running a business I didn't like. I was doing drugs. I was getting more depressed. And then you put an ad in the newspaper. Well, I ended up buying, the, the guy that gave me the cocaine worked at a sleep shop mm-hmm. in Topanga Plaza. I bought a waterbed from him and then so you bought the waterbed during a co- also did you like buy coke and a waterbed at the same time or was it just <laughs> no, like no no, no. i didn't deals? i didn't buy the coke from him i just i just i got it there but i bought uh-huh. the waterbed from the shop because okay. you know he was a friend that worked at the shop in the yeah, mall i want to support a friend I guess. so a few months later he said hey we're having a sale you can get the whole set you know the mattress the mm-hmm. frame all that stuff and i went like yeah and i said can you just deduct I don't need another mattress. And he says, no, it comes as a set. Mm-hmm. So I had two mattresses. That's when I said, okay, I got to sell one. So I put it in the recycler. Mm-hmm. And Horian's roommate answered the ad, left a message. I got home from work. I called the number. Horian answered the phone. And I said, yes, yeah, someone called me about a, uh, a waterbed mattress. And he goes, well, that was my roommate, but he already bought one. And I was just about ready to hang up. But he said, I'm interested in it. And I said, okay, I lived, I mean, I lived in Marina del Rey. Mm-hmm. So he said, okay, I'll be right over. So the guy shows up in a half an hour, which means he left the house right after we talked. Yeah. Walks in the door, good looking Brazilian guy, you know, comes in, shakes my hand, very confident. We go upstairs. I show this to him. Says, okay, I'll take it. And I had three sets of waterbed sheets. Mm-hmm. And he said, how much do you want? And there were king size in the package. And he goes, and I said, $15 a set which king size sheets, $15 a set, seemed like a pretty good price. Yeah. And he goes, I'll give you $15 for all three. And I'm like, bro, come on, man. Mm-hmm. And he goes, come on from Brazil. I don't, I don't know how to speak <laughs> English very well. You know, and he said it really, <laughs> really, really broken. Yeah. No, not broken. That's oh, the thing. He, said it so he would always say that. I know. I don't know how to speak English very well. But he would say it in good English. Yeah, and he says, and he says, I don't have a lot of money, whatever. And, I, and I'm like, and he said, by the way, you never know if you do this for me, you never know what might come back to you. That's cool. So I said, you know, I liked the guy. He was very smooth. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, fine. So we're walking down from the upstairs bedroom. And he said, my friend, have you ever done any martial arts? So I said, yeah, you know, I boxed for a few months. You know, no guy want, doesn't want to say you know, no. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't want to sound like I don't know how to defend myself, but I literally boxed for maybe six months. Okay. And this was a few years before. Mm-hmm. And I said, why? And he said, well, my family's been doing jujitsu in Brazil and we're champions. And Did you even know what jujitsu was? I, I heard about what jujitsu was 
in a magazine, you in, just a, thought in a, it was a comic a book, or something? Uh, no, I just thought it was some kind of martial art. Okay, it was some kind of like where you could take care of the bully. Okay, and my family's been doing this, whatever. We're champions, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah. And you're you're one of these guys that's in this family mm-hmm. of champions. But anyways, you know, I obviously I didn't say anything. And he goes, why don't you come by for a free class? And I'll show you what it's about. And I went like, he said the optimum word. You know, he said free private class. Mm -hmm. So I went, okay. And I showed up. What compelled you to go? His confidence. And he was just saying, you know, I'm sure he said it was like the most effective art that there is. Okay. You know, and it was a free class. And I had no idea what we were going to do. I didn't know we were going to go over there and go like, ha! Mm -hmm. You didn't know if it was karate. I have no idea. Whatever. Whatever. And when I walked into the garage, he had an area that was draped off. In other words, just like, you know, a lot of times you hang up tools on a Mm -hmm. wall. Well, he had like a curtain coming down so you didn't see all the stuff. Mm -hmm. But the things that he had on his wall were a fake gun, a a real knife, and a club. Oh, wow. And all I I could do was just like stare at that, like the knife. I'm just Uh like, oh, my God, the guy's going to kill me. That was that paranoid part of me from the drugs. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyways, so we come in, we start with like, uh, you know, the two-handed grab and, and he showed me an easy way to get out of it. And I went like, oh, this is cool. And then he did a wrist grab where he grabbed the collar. And as I grabbed his collar, he took my wrist and bent it a little bit. And then when he saw me wince, he kind of like held my wrist, like massaged a little bit, like, you know. Mm-hmm. And then he says, and then I, he would show me how to do that. And I, sh- you know, and I went like. Was there a mat? Oh, yeah, of course. Gra- he had okay, mats mat in, in his garage. garage. Okay. You know, after a couple stand-up techniques, he says, why don't you lay down now? Mm-hmm. And he says, so, you find yourself on the beach or in a park or something like this, and some guy mounts on top of you like this. How are you going to get out? And, Which is how most fights end. Most fights end with someone on top of the other person hitting them. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just like, and he mounts on top of me, and, and I could not escape. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I mean, especially back, first of all, you know, I'm 150 pounds. He is maybe 170. You guys are the same age. What are you guys, about 28 years old? 20, I think oh, 27. 27? Wow, yeah. you guys were young. Yeah, thanks. We were young. Well, you're still <laughs> young. You were younger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice try. Basically convinced me he, I wasn't going to escape, and mm-hmm. I said, yeah. He lays down. He says, you mount on top of me. He says, okay, hold me down. Don't let me escape. So I'm, like, holding him down. And got out escaped, of like just like yeah. trapped and rolled. And I was just like, wow. And then I went like, I got to do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is it. It, it was so you got addicted from that point. There was just his energy and the confidence and just the technique, mm-hmm. you know, came right afterwards when I'm ready to leave. And he had a freshly laundered gi when I got there. Mm-hmm. And, and then we were done. He says, hey, come on in. And we go in the kitchen. And he makes me, like, some fresh watermelon juice. And we're not talking about putting it in a blender and spilling it out, putting it in a blender with a cloth bag, squeezing it out, mm-hmm. you know. And I was just like, wow, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, when can I come back? You know, so I called him up and he made another appointment. And, and at this point, it was $10 a half an hour. Wow. You so, think he does privates today? If you're willing to pay him. (laughs) I wonder what he charges now for five. It's probably about $1,000 an hour. Wow, $1,000 an hour. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing. Wow. I mean, I would get a chance to, like, when he he would 
get out of like a headlock, for instance, and then we're across the side, you know, where the arm goes across the neck to mm -hmm. put pressure on somebody, he would place my arm perfectly so it would like really cause maximum damage. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's gonna do anything like that anymore with somebody. Hey, now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode when faced with a challenge in life. But when you learn to find your own solutions, there's no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small. What can someone get from trying therapy? Unload stress, emotional healing, help with anxiety and depression, and much more. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists at any time. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com exit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com exit. And I know people that have had privates with him. I have friends, mm -hmm. and he and he really insists on using technique and not muscle no, because m so many people tend to use the power that they have. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people, new new people, I said, save your power. Yeah. I said, look, if you're strong enough, you're fast, great. But your technique, once you get the technique down, and then you put in your speed and your strength. Mm -hmm. I run a lot. I would imagine I have pretty good cardio for most people. When I rolled with Chris, it was interesting because I was so out of breath and he wasn't even breaking a sweat. He's, you know, done this for so long that he knows exactly how much he doesn't waste any energy. And obviously, like someone who's new like me, that's all I do is I'm just wasting all, you know, all this energy. Like even when I roll with someone, like someone would be coaching me like, like, what are you doing, brother? It doesn't do anything. Like that's not going to like, don't worry about that. That's not going to help you at all. When you don't know, it's just, you know, you're just doing like what your like body's instincts are. And like jujitsu is so counterintuitive. It's so counter to like what you think you would have to do, you know? Right. When you first started with him, did you think that you were going to continue to do it at that time? Or were you kind of just like, let's just see where this goes? All I know is that after one class was over, I was already thinking About when I can come one. back. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, the whole thing is like, he made it sound like you do 40 classes. Mm -hmm. And I went like, okay, 40 classes. That's great. And then where do we go from there? We did 40 classes, got my blue belt, but you know, I didn't stop. I mm -hmm. kept coming back. Yeah. And then there were, you know, I would tell other people, I remember I told my younger brother who really never got involved in jujitsu. Mm -hmm. I told one of his best friends at the time, it was over at my mom's house in Encino. I went over there and they're in my brother's bedroom. And I told his friend, I go, you know what? I can choke you out with this bath towel. <laughs> and he goes, dude, come on. So I took the bath towel and I just flung it around his neck and grabbed mm -hmm. it and went for a collar choke. And he goes, mm -hmm. whoa, where'd you learn this? Yeah. And I, you know, told him about it. And all of a sudden he signed up, you know, for classes and, mm -hmm. and he stayed with it until he got his purple belt, you know? So, and then, you know, other people would tell other people about it. It just, the way it was set up, you know, especially to have private classes, mm -hmm. you know, and Horian. Was Horian's goal at the time to open a gym? Was well, he, he trying to, he, or was he, he just was doing spreading, private? He was spreading the, the word, word of jujitsu. He jiu was just trying to get 
as students. many privates and students yeah. as, as he could out of his garage. Out of his garage until, <clears throat> you know, until he got so busy where he, you know, called his brother Hoyce. Mm-hmm. And Hoyce came over. I lived with Horian in Hermosa Beach for a year. Yeah, that's so interesting in the book where you end up living with Horian because, like, in the book, I, I like try to like think about how how it would be like living with him. You know, was he like a super disciplined guy in all areas of his life? Like, what was it like? Because at the time, you are probably like on drugs because you kept using during jujitsu for a while, right? Oh yeah, I ke- I kept using for a while, and he never asked you about it, right? Well, he like I I remember there was something that I do say in the book where. When I was in therapy because I knew I wanted to change. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how. I, I thought drugs were the problem, but, you know, I, I'd realized that it, it opened up a whole can of worms for me to start looking at my life. Mm-hmm. Before I moved in with them, you know, I told the therapist, you know, I, I, I want to change. And then, I, but I was living with two guys in the music business and, you know, they were, life was about partying and drugs. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, this is not what I wanted for myself. So I remember talking to Horian going, you know what? I really need to find a new roommate and, you know, cause I want my life to change. Yeah. And Horian says, Richard, I'm looking for a roommate. <laughs> and I was like, and he goes, let's get a place together. And I, and I was, I was literally floored cause you know, here's this guy that, you know, that you're saying is super disciplined, diet, everything. What the hell's wrong with you that you want to live with me? Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Yeah. Talk about self-esteem. I didn't know at the time he couldn't get a place of his own because he didn't have credit. Mm-hmm. You know, I found this place in, which is known as the garage in Hermosa Beach. Mm-hmm. We move in. He even gives me, there was two bedrooms, one with one window, which was the side, and then the back bedroom, which had a window in the back and a window in the side. Mm-hmm. You know, so good cross breeze. He gave you the nicer room. He gave me the nicer room, but I couldn't park my car in the garage because the garage, the garage because the mats. And I had a... I had a really nice 2000, no, it was a 76 BMW 2002, mm-hmm. cherry, okay. new paint, you know, and he says, you got to park this outside. And I'm like, whoa, dude, you know, it wasn't much of a thing because mm-hmm. there it was. So here I'm, we're living there. I lived with, for a year and I was eating, my eating habits were terrible. After living with him, I stopped eating, you know, I, I, I say in the book, I was a Twixaholic mm-hmm. a few months after living with him. I never touched a Twix candy bar again. Wow. You know, and then my eating habits were, you know, I started eating three meals a day. I would combine them. It just made a big difference. Still doing drugs, Mm -hmm. but slowly my goal was to become healthier. And he never mentioned like, hey. I I remember, to answer your question, I was sitting in my room one day, and this was early on. I opened up my desk drawer, Mm -hmm. and there was a little mirror with cocaine on it. And I'm snorting a little bit. Horian walks in and he goes, looks like the best stuff. And I go, you want some? And he goes, maybe later. <laughs> but he never, ever said, you know, you really shouldn't do drugs. Wow. You know, yeah, his whole demeanor and the way that he taught you is so interesting to me because you would imagine that, because like you see what goes on in like the UFC and stuff like that and like the Ultimate Fighter show and like where it's really like trying to toughen people up with like, a lot of like machismo, like don't be a pussy type of mentality and be a savage and all this stuff. And it didn't seem like he was like that at all. You have to realize too, is that he realizes, and I think what he was drawn to and what 
people that were attracted to him were more professionals. Mm -hmm. I was never going to be that kind of guy. I never cared about wanting to fight. Mm -hmm. I mean, like when I did like a couple little challenges, first of all, it scared the shit out of me. I never had that that thing going, yeah, I want to do it again. Yeah. A good teacher realizes, and like I've yeah, told like many people. you're like a real people, student of jiu-jitsu. You want to keep yeah, learning. Yeah, in other words, I also told people, most people that get into jiu-jitsu are hobbyists. Mm -hmm. Very small percentage want to go and they want to compete at the high level. Mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of people want to compete lower, like I did. I competed mm -hmm. at the lower levels. As I started to age, I realized my body couldn't handle it. I had to make a choice. Mm -hmm. Am I going to do this for fun and enjoyment, or am yeah. I going to have to do this and destroy my body? Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of crazy to see because you see Hickson and, and uh, you know, he looks like he has a lot of back problems now, right? Well, he, he had quite some quite some problems. And, and you know, Pedro Sauer, who's a Hickson black belt, mm -hmm. you know, he's had a lot of shoulder stuff. Fabio is, you know, who gave him my black belt, who's a Hickson black belt, mm -hmm. you know, has had his hip redone. I mean, they've had a lot of injuries. And I just want to say for people that are like interested in doing jujitsu that I think that, you know, it's important to say that these are the people that are competing at a super high level, but jujitsu is something that's so cool that you can do every single day and not get hurt, you know, because it's like with kickboxing or something like that, like you're going to take a lot more trauma to the head and stuff like that with punching. Where in jujitsu, like, yeah, yes, you can get hurt, but yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, obviously you can get hurt, but like, you know, like at the gym that I go to, like I'm, I don't ever feel like I'm going to get hurt because people know that I'm new and they like take it easy on me and I don't like want to roll with people that are like right. really aggressive. People can do it in much safer environment than I think like sparring with like kickboxing or boxing or something like that. Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, you can do it. And as long as I've told students, I said, you know, we have to have a, a, an attitude of cooperation. Mm -hmm. You know, we're here to help each other. When we do go to roll, I said, relax. I mean, there's a guy that I have been teaching. He's a blue belt. He's been around for a few years on and off. And he's a big, strong guy. And, you know, I, I watched what he was doing with a, with a woman that was much smaller than him. Probably he's 210 pounds. She was probably 120 pounds. Mm -hmm. Got across the side and started putting his arm across her neck. And I went over and I took his arm and I just lifted it off. And he felt me fighting like, didn't know what I wanted. And I just, I said, relax. And I took his arm and I put it on the other side of her, you know, and then I rolled with her next mm -hmm. and just went nice and easy. And I said, here's a chance for you to practice just pure technique. Mm -hmm. There's not a question. She's a white belt, you're a blue belt. There's no question that she was going to catch you. Yeah. So w there's less of a threat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've been working with him just because I said, you know, a lot of moves. If you're not threatened, just relax. And if you start to get threatened in here, so the, what's the worst that'll happen? In this place, you'll get tapped. Mm -hmm. You'll start to realize, instead of using all the power you have not to get caught, you'll realize how you get caught, and then you'll be able to figure out the technique to get you out of it without power. Mm -hmm. Because, like I've said, I don't have the power to get out. I said, all I have is the technique. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want to start focusing on. So you really, at this, at where I'm at, I should say, I really want to help people just to, you know, relax and learn the technique and feel less threatened over and over again. And like you were saying, it's counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. 
Because so many people, when you yeah. start to, like, if you put your hand up for a second, did I tell you to push back? Uh, no. Yeah, you just naturally do it's it. It's a yeah. polarity that yeah. people have. Yeah, I was rolling with somebody, and he did something with my legs. And, you know, I've only been doing jiu-jitsu for, like, two months. And I'm like, he did, he, like, wrapped my leg, and I'm trying to pull out of it as hard as I can. And I remember he told me, he's like, you're never going to be able to pull out of it. You actually have to go down. Go down? Like, <laughs> it, it's just like, like, you just don't think to do that. And he wasn't really using a lot of pressure. And it was like, it was blowing my mind. And I, I think one of the best roles I ever had is that I rolled with this girl. And this girl was probably 110 pounds. And she was like a two-stripe white belt. So obviously she's been doing it a little longer than me. But she's so small. And a part of me was like, okay, Brian, like, don't hurt her. Like, I felt weird. Because, you know, I'm a guy. I've never, I've never been aggressive with a girl in any type of scenario. Like, I've never, like... I, it's right. so even even rolling with a girl is like counterintuitive in your brain. That's like a man. You're like, don't hit girls, you know. <laughs> and like I remember, I think I was in a, like fifty fifty with her, and like I was supposed to get out of it, and I was like trying to do it without force, and I couldn't get out of it. And then I'm like, okay, you need to get out of this, Brian. You can do this. And then I try to do it like with force, and I still couldn't get out of it. She was just ha- had more technique than me. Right. And that's when I think I was like, wow. It's so interesting how how technique can really s- overcome strength and power. Right. You know, you were saying about my, what my life was like, you know, and that, then after being around Hori. And as I started changing, I started focusing on what it is that I wanted. Yeah. And the more that I focus, I want health and I want this. There was no room my drugs mm-hmm. or for my life for drugs anymore. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing in your book. And like, if you read like Atomic Habits and even like 12 Steps, like talks about this, that, you know, if you try not to do drugs, you're focusing on the drugs. Right. So let's focus on things that are healthy. And then the drugs take care of themselves because you're so focused on doing the things that are healthy. And I think that in recovery, because like I'm a recovering addict, I was on drugs my whole life, or like as my, my whole childhood, basically. And I think that going to meetings and stuff like that was what I needed because instead of just not using, not doing drugs, don't do drugs, don't answer the phone for drug dealers, don't call drug dealers, don't hang out with drug addicts, (laughs) it's like, you know, what else do you do? I didn't have any hobbies. There's no one I could even talk to about this stuff. And I think, like, I found, like, a community of, like, other recovering addicts and I was able to focus on things that were healthy. And And I think in your book, you, you really identify that. And the way you wrote it was really beautiful to see how you went from focusing on eating good things, not focusing on don't eat pizza. Yeah, probably one of the biggest things, because it's very easy to, to say focus on this, but what happens to you when you know that you want something? Because, I, I mean, I, I wanted to get healthier. I, you know, I saw this brilliant therapist, Dr. Dossi, who's passed a few years mm-hmm. ago. And my focus was on what I wanted to do. So, you know, and I, I wanted to have be healthier. So when I found myself getting stoned after I had focused on this, it was like, what did I do with those thoughts? Mm-hmm. I credit what happened to me next. Hickson's ex-wife, Kim Gracie, who was the mother of Crone and Hoxson and the two girls, we used to do this work called rebirthing. And I'd do this breathing technique. And she had told me, she goes, Richard, you need to, you know, focus on forgiveness in your life. And I'd stopped doing drugs. Mm-hmm. So I did these breathing techniques with her. 
guided breathing and where I would be like in a meditative state afterwards. It was amazing. She said, when Jesus was asked about forgiveness, he said, forgive 70 times seven. Now, I'm not a big religious Mm -hmm. person, but it made sense. So she said, take a person in your life and write, I, Richard, forgive. So I took my dad because what I perceived about what he did to me, which he did nothing except trying to make me a better person, Mm -hmm. but I perceived all those things. So I wrote, I, Richard, forgive my dad. I, Richard, forgive. 70 times a day, times a week. So at the end of a week, I had written down, I forgive. Wow. So I took three other people. So at the end of a month, I had written down, I, Richard, forgive. Like I chose another. I even chose my, uh, the guy who gave birth to me because they had to break my collarbone to get me out. I was a big baby. The doctor. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, people are saying, oh, the kind of births, what you could have, the trauma. Uh I didn't, I wasn't walking around. I never perceived that. But I said, okay, whatever. I'll forgive the doctor. Mm Mm-hmm. When I did do something that wasn't on my goals list, I would start to go into that behavior like, oh, Richard, you fucking dummy. You can't believe you did this. What the Mm -hmm. hell's wrong with you? You know, a lot of times people would, oh, well, I had a drink. Oh, what the hell? You're a piece of shit. Yeah. So I would start all of a sudden this. It was like you've probably seen like a a cartoon where there's the angel and the devil where he's going, you piece of, and they're going, no, it's okay, Richard, I forgive you. Mm-hmm. No, it's okay, Richard. And I'd start having this little war back and forth. Yeah, and all have of a it sudden, every time I eat bad. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I, I would start forgiving myself just to say, okay, it's done, what's next? Mm-hmm. And then I would go, I'd feel good about that. And then I'd carry on. And all of a sudden, that little voice would crumble in going, oh, Richard, what a dumbass. And I, I'd, so I'd always have to keep going back. And that was probably one of the biggest things just to forgive myself and give myself affirmations that I loved who I was. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a girlfriend early on because I didn't really feel good about who I was. I didn't start, and I, I think I, I don't know if I said this in the book, I didn't start liking who I was until I got into my 40s. Wow. Where I was like going, wow, I really like this guy. Mm-hmm. Because I was doing drugs. How could, I, matter of fact, when women liked me, I used to think, what the hell's wrong with them? Yeah. Because... I didn't like myself. Yeah, the self-esteem's so low. Yeah, so so jujitsu, Horian, and the path that guided me to help me to stop doing drugs mm-hmm. and that destructive lifestyle and have a super clean diet now. Do you remember the last time you did a drug? Like, was it like like a definite— Dude, last night. (laughs) (laughs) But was it like a definite, like, okay, this is it? Or was it just like you just stopped? Because because some people do. Like, I stopped smoking cigarettes. I don't even really remember, like, the last cigarette because I had stopped so many different times. Like, it, like, meant nothing. (laughs) But some people have, like, this, like, moment of, like, okay, I'm I'm done after this. No. It was more of, like, a natural thing. Yeah. I mean, I know when I stopped smoking cigarettes. Mm -hmm. It was actually August 31st, 1971. Wow. How would I know— because my nephew was born that day. Wow. And my sister's husband at the time said, I'm going to stop smoking. And I said, yeah, me too. And I stopped. And he smoked for <laughs> quite, quite a little bit yeah. longer. But as far as the last time I did drugs, it was just something that was a natural progression. You know, I smoked pot for a little longer after I stopped doing quaaludes and cocaine. For mm-hmm. me, pot, I'll consume a little bit of THC in a tincture form, mm-hmm. but I don't do it to get high. I do it because I've read a lot about the therapeutic. Yeah. I accidentally get, did too much because <laughs> I didn't know enough about it. 
And the high made me super uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And if people want to do that, that's fine because there's a lot of people who, you function know. Function and all sorts of yeah, stuff. Function, yeah, function. But, but as far as, I don't know. It's just that I got to a point where it just wasn't who I saw myself at. Mm-hmm. I just were like. Yeah, and they, they talk about that. And um, there's this book, Atomic Habits, that um, for me, it like makes a lot of sense. Like anyone who wants to break a habit or create new ones. But really, they talk about like you have to change your identity to change a habit. Hey, guys, want to talk to you about United Recovery Project. We're a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. We have three locations in Florida and three locations in California. Our facilities are state-of-the-art, luxury, and high-end. We do take most insurances. If you're struggling, I always tell people to go to a 12-step meeting, but some of us need an extra head start to give us a fighting chance. For those of you that do need this head start, that are detoxing, that do think you need to speak to a professional, please call 833-999-1877. We are working with most insurances. Even if you can't get into our treatment center, we will point you in the right direction. Please give us a call today. Once again, that phone number is 833-999-1877. So instead of like not eating something, like stop eating pizza, you wanna identify someone who's healthy, who eats healthy, you know? And I think that for me, like being in recovery, like helped change my identity because, you know, drugs were my identity for a long time. I didn't know even who I right. was without drugs. I was the guy to call for drugs. I was the guy to go to for drugs. Like it was just me so too. I, hey, it was the same guy. <laughs> so it's like they used was, to call me the candy man. Oh, really? My sister. My sister's name is Candy, mm-hmm. who hated to hear that. Oh, wow. they just called me drug addict piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, you have to change your identity if you really want to change, like, the habits that you have, you know? Well, Dr. Dossi used to say, you know, because I'd say, well, you know, because I, I went to him specifically for a thing about how to smoke pot, how mm-hmm. to stop smoking pot. Mm-hmm. And he said, you have to do something. You have to replace it with something. He said, you have to do something that's as good as or better than. Yeah doing what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. So I said, what's what's better than Smoking smoking weed. some pot? He said, how about some, like when you go to smoke pot, you, he said, how about taking a deep breath of fresh air? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, whatever. So I set my mind to focus on something different, something mm-hmm. that's as good as or better than. And when you first start, you really can't think what's better than that. You focus, if this is what you want, if you want health, if you want this, Drug, there's no place for drugs in a healthy body. It's just like junk food. There's no place for junk food in a healthy body. We're always concerned we give our animals, oh, no, don't give them this. Not yeah. good for them. People think nothing <laughs> about true. going to what a fast food place. Yeah. You have to focus on what it is that you want. Can you tell me, because I'm kind of confused on how it all started, how I know that jujitsu started where the Gracie family was doing some form of jujitsu and then one of them was like sick or very weak. You're talking about in Brazil. In Brazil. And okay. The story goes, you know, it's almost like folklore. This is yeah. what's been pa- yeah, passed, down. passed down. Elio used to watch him teach and then one day he, you know, Carlos didn't show up for the class and Elio taught him. But was Elio the one who was like He was the weak? small. He was like weak yeah. and he had to change the moves and adapt him. Was that Elio? That's right. Yes. Okay. So now they're saying that that Elio is the reason, in other words, why they do what they do. And 
And, you know, I got to to share the mat with him a few times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you talk about that in your book where uh, he's like, why don't you uh, go up against my dad? And Well, yeah, the, fir- the first week that we share the house in Hermosa Beach, His, Hickson, Elio? Elio, and Carlos spent a week with us. Wow. Carlos Gracie Jr. Wow. And there's a video of me doing, you know, jujitsu with Hickson, and Carlos Gracie Jr. shot the, wow. it was my sister's, Super eight, uh-huh. super eight, you know, uh-huh. recorded like a two minute video. So just to, when I went downstairs, see, my dad wants to give you a class. And I went like, wow. And I went down there and I saw, you know, Grandmaster Elliot, who, who at the time is younger than I am now. Mm-hmm. But he looked, you know, he, you know, thinning hair, white hair, a kind of a small guy, you know, and here he's in his mid sixties and I'm like, you know, 28 years old. Uh-huh. And I go up to Horny and go, I, I don't want to hurt him. Yeah. You know, and he just, he pats me on the shoulder. And he said, he'll be okay. Uh-huh. And then we we got on the mat and he lays down, puts his hands in his belt, says, attack me. So hang on. So are you guys both wearing geese? This is oh, yeah. geese, right? Oh, yeah. This is geese. So you guys both, he put both of his hands in his belt and said, come on. Yeah. Attack me. So I started to go for a collar choke and he would just turn and shrug his shoulder. And next thing I know... He ends up elbowscaping, gets me in his guard. I don't, I think could have been a butterfly guard and he swept me. Wow. And then I don't know how he tapped me, but it was just like, <laughs> you know, I'm going like, and I, I just felt completely helpless. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And I think that is like the experience that, that I have with you just because like, like I suck really bad. Like I'm not good, you know? And it's like, people are so. Me too. You too. <laughs> well, it's like. Like that, that feeling of being like defenseless and it's like me being like a bigger guy, like, you know, what, like, like you, you just don't think that that could happen to you from someone who's one, like a lot smaller than you or like, even like a girl, like there's like this one girl that like my gym, that's like demolishes me every time. And so easily she did. I remember this one time she did like the lapel choke where you like pull out your, your gi and like, I had never, I didn't even know that was legal. A part of me was like, are you even allowed to do this? And like, she like takes out her lapel and she like wraps it around my neck and like chokes me out with it. And I was just like, it feels good to to be like so novice at something, you know, to be like, have so much to learn. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I, I still love teaching. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my focus is basically just to be a coach for people. I mean, I just want to, you know, share my enthusiasm and show as much little details as possible to make things as easy as possible, especially for the smaller person. I mean, mm-hmm. one of one of my students who's been with me for quite a few years now, and he's a he's a four stripe blue belt, only trains at a Krav Maga school. Started with me. Mm-hmm. His girlfriend used to always come and say hi and. All of a sudden, but, you know, we'd always say, hey, you know, why don't you come in and take a class? Mm-hmm. She goes, yeah, I'll, one of these days I'll, I'll show up, you know, and I was saying this to her for three, four years. Well, after we got here, all of a sudden she just shows up. She goes, here, I'm here for my class. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. So she's 90 pounds. Wow. And so she comes in and she takes a class. And I said, well. I said, okay, there you go. You you basically said you, what you were going to do. Thank you very much. I'll never see you again, basically, yeah. except socially. And all of a sudden, something happened to her. She, came she shows up the next day uh-huh. and the next week. And then she buys a gi. And wow. now she's coming back for classes. But she's also pretty fragile. She reminds me of me. Mm-hmm. 
I would get hurt easier. Remember, I was 140, 150 pounds, and most of the guys that I would roll with were... 200-something. Well, you know, they were at least 170 to 200 pounds, mm-hmm. and they were younger than me. A lot of the guys would come in were like 10 years younger. Yeah. My body used to get trashed a lot. And after a few years of sparring with some of these guys, I was very selective who I rolled with. Mm-hmm. But for hurt, I mean, to come in now, I mean, I'm very protective. Those are the people that, you know, there's quite a few women that train in here I'm very protective of mm-hmm. because I want to make sure that they learn the right techniques. Yeah, because think about it, if it's intimidating for me, <laughs> yeah. imagine what it's like for them. Yes. And like that's also inspiring because sometimes I'm like, man, I suck so bad. And it, there's like so much that I need to learn. And like I just get my ass kicked by so many people. And imagine what it would be like to be like and like some of these like some of the women there, like they're purple belts, you know, and you know they've been doing this for years and like, yeah, they're good now. But imagine what it was like when they first started. So a lot of that like inspires me to be like, okay, like you can do this because sometimes it just feels like, you know, you're not never getting, you're not getting better. Obviously I've only been doing it for a couple months, but like, <laughs> but like sometimes I'm like, damn it. I like, like, like when am I going to get good? Never, you know, 10 years from now. It's interesting to see like people that, that stick with it, that how good they can get especially being, like, a lot smaller, you know? So, like, the legend goes that, like, Elio had to, like, adapt all the tricks or all the moves because he didn't have the strength, right? Well, he didn't have the strength and and, or the stamina. Mm -hmm. So he basically made the techniques much simpler. And one of the things, like, in my class, one of the things that I'm showing people is I say, look, if you can't do it the way that I'm doing it, it can't be done because... As far as just the technique alone. I mean, if there's something simpler, I want to see it. And and that's one of the things where I, when I was over at the Krav Maga gym, you know, their self-defense was a lot of striking. Mm-hmm. And I used to say, look, guys, a smaller person, let's say a woman who's like 100 pounds, 120 pounds, fighting against a bigger guy who grabs them and the guy's 200 pounds, her strike is not going to do anything. Yeah, not going to do unless it's perfectly placed and to have a perfectly placed strike with power you have to train for years yeah and it's also like in the heat of the moment you don't know if you're going to get it off you know i just said you have to give the odds to doing this because they used to say how hard it was to learn to get good Mm -hmm. and i said no if you train on a regular basis it's not gonna be like that at all it's just that theirs was theory based Mm -hmm. you know they'd say well when you do this i'll do this and they would hit a bag yeah. I said, look, hitting a bag In is nice, life, yeah. but being able to choke somebody out and being able to get him in an arm lock and being able to break a grip, I said, you are basically seeing the effectiveness right before your eyes. It's mm-hmm. not theory-based. It's proven. You know, jiu-jitsu at so many levels is so good. And you were saying, you know, you can keep staying on the mat. And one of the reasons why a lot of people quit is because of the kind of competition gyms that they're in, Mm -hmm. if that's where they go and they have to deal with it. It's kind of like high school wrestling. High school wrestlers, you know, they might wrestle in college. People, they don't continue to wrestle because it's so hard on the body. Mm -hmm. Just like this, there's a lot of guys that will continue to do this, but at what price? Yeah, I I got my friend into jujitsu and he used to wrestle in high school. And he was like, um, in high school, when a new guy would come in, they would like try to break them and try to like hurt them as much as possible, almost to like get them to quit. 
and he was like, I thought jujitsu might be the same. And I would imagine some gyms maybe are, you know, but it's not supposed to be that way. You know, like the way jujitsu is set up is that it's supposed to be set up so that like a weaker person can learn to overtake someone who's a lot stronger than them. What do people call jujitsu today? They call it a sport. Mm-hmm. Irks Combat me. sports, yeah. Yeah. Well, because jujitsu is a martial art. It is a self-defense. It has a sportive aspect, but it really irks me when people say, oh, I love jujitsu. It's a great sport. Don't limit it as being that because, you know, when Horian first taught me, he says when people, when they go to a, a place, they're looking predominantly to be able to defend themselves. In a real life scenario. In a real life scenario. So it's a self-defense. It's a martial art that has a great sportive aspect to it. Mm-hmm. My concern is that it's, we're losing it because people think it's just the sportive aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, these pe- people get slammed. And, you know, if you get in someone's guard and let's say if you're in my guard, I'm not ever taught to unlock, uncross my legs. If you stand up and grab me and go to slam me yeah. in the street, if that ever happens, it's over. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they, when we used to have our tournaments back before the academy, slamming was allowed so some guy lifts you up man you uncross your legs because Mm -hmm. it didn't take much for you to get popped yeah where now i when i remember when i saw tournaments and the guy would be in the garden he'd just climb up on him and with no regard looking back and some newbies would slam the guy and they'd be disqualified just the mentality of like that look some people that are very sportive in jujitsu i'm not saying not to have the sportive aspect. I'm just saying train different scenarios. Yeah. Tra- unless you're really, because Jeff Glover and, and Henner Gracie just had a, a debate, sport or street. Mm-hmm. Jeff Glover is an elite grappler. He's not going to have a problem getting into a fight. It's not, we're not talking about at that level. We're talking like about the, the average person. guy yeah. that, that comes in. Train, have fun, do the sportive stuff, but always keep in the back of your mind the things that could happen. Train that other aspect too, just so you're kind of used to, mm-hmm. because I've been yeah, lifted up by some big guys. Yeah. And if I didn't let go, man, <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Can you talk about the scenario that happened with your dad? Because for me, that was one of the part of the book that I resonated with the most. What scenario was this? <laughs> the ping pong <laughs> scenario. One, I went through the exact same scenario with my father where, you know, we would just always go back and forth with, him pissing me off and me pissing him off. And I have a friend who, same scenario. And I sent him that part of your book. I was like, you got to read this part of the book because you really break it down to how to not just diffuse a scenario with family members, but almost any scenario in your life. Well, first of all, it's easier said than done Mm -hmm. because the more you are involved with somebody, the more you have developed habits with them. Mm -hmm. So the, the story that you're referring to is, here, I was in the business. We closed up Hawthorne. I went to help my dad out in Topanga Plaza where he still had the, the, his place. I'm in my 20s, even maybe late 20s, maybe even early 30s, helping him out, working the grill. Now, working the grill in a fast food place at 30 <laughs> years old that I've been at for a long time, you figure doesn't it's not rocket science, but you're probably thinking this guy knows how to flip a hamburger. Mm-hmm. So, But what my dad would do because of his controlling nature... I would come over and we'd be busy on a Saturday. My dad would actually come over, bend down, look where the flame was on the grill. And he'd say, Richard, move the burgers over. And he'd literally say, move them over like a half an inch. (laughs) And I said, dad, 
I said, go bother someone else. I know how to work the grill, whatever. Don't talk to me like that. I'm your father and I know what the hell I'm doing here. So I'm like going, I said, and I go back and forth. And so I remember telling Dr. Dossie this and he says, Richard, he says, you know, he says, sounds like you want your dad to change. And I said, yeah, I want to. He says, okay. He says, we can do that. And I went, really? He says, yeah. He says, so you really want your dad to change? And I said, yes. And he goes, are you sure? I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, what, dude, What's come on. He said, I can get your dad to change. And I said, okay, great. How? And he says, next time your dad comes over and he tells you to move the hamburger over, say exactly how far. And he says, that'll defuse him because he's so used to you fighting. He's already set up for that. Mm -hmm. So the next time my dad comes over, my dad says, hey, move the burgers. It was like clockwork. So I'd go, I go, dad, exactly where would you like him? And he'd say, put him over here. So I took and moved the whole row over just a half inch, all of all 18 patties on the grill. Mm -hmm. And my dad stood there and ready for this fight. And he stood there and he went, okay. And he walks away. And I went, oh my God, that was so easy. He explained to me, it's like, if you're playing ping pong with somebody and you stop playing, or if you're dancing with somebody and you stop dancing, mm -hmm. they're going to shake for a little bit. They're going to hit the ball a little bit. But after a while, they're going to move on someplace else because you stopped. Mm -hmm. You stopped engaging, engaging. with them. Yeah. It was just like, wow. Like I said, it really, you have to really stop and think because... I know that all family members that'll see this and they go, oh, yeah, Richard, oh, well, that's not what happened with you and me. Yeah. You know, it, it happens. It's just, it was so instrumental with him because mm -hmm. it was my father that I really started. I was telling people at one time I hated him. Yeah. And I didn't hate my dad. I loved my dad. He did so much for me, but his, the way he was. So if you can take responsibility because all he was saying was he wanted to be in control. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I let him have control. He walked away. Yeah. And what someone explained to me is like, as a father, they feel like their job is to tell you what you need to do better. That's right. So I remember having issues with my dad. And if I got B's, he would tell me I need to get A's. And if I got A's, I need to get A pluses. And if I, you know, like whatever it was, it, he could never be like, hey, that was great. It would always be like, well, you should have done this. Well, you could have done that. You know, I remember he heard me speak at some meeting and on the way home. He said, um, you, or, uh, uh, when I got, when I got home, he gave me this card of things I need to work on. And he said that I said, and and like too many times. He said, I cursed too many times. He said it got boring in the middle. And he said, I should take some public speaking classes. And man, it like made me, it makes me laugh, but like it almost made me cry. Yeah, you know, because it's like you know, here I am, like I I spoke at this. No, meeting. I'm laughing because I just relate uh, really? to what my dad was yeah. with me. It wasn't that it was funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's like he was always doing that. And I remember I called my sponsor, and my sponsor laughed, and he said, "That's what dads do. Yeah, that's his job. He wanted to make you better. His job is to make you better." No matter what it is, he's never going to be able to be satisfied because he always thinks that you got more in you. And I never saw it that way. And, and like, you know, someone had to tell me, like, he sees your potential that is so much more than what you're doing. And he just wants you to push you beyond that. Right. I just saw it as he doesn't love me. It's never good enough. All these things. And, and when I read your book, it like really hit home with me because I remember the day I stopped, I stopped fighting with him. You know, I remember the day where, like, he would say something. I'd be like, okay, you know? And I don't have problems with my dad. Like, sometimes my sister does or she has in the past. And she'd be like, can you believe dad did this? I'm like, yeah, he did it her whole life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what he does. Yeah. 
And I'm not trying to change him anymore. I love him just the way he is, you know? And, like, you know, me and my dad are, like, best friends today. Well, he—my dad changed, though. He changed— Yeah, my dad did eventually, too, after—because he wasn't playing ping pong anymore. You want to change somebody, change yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, didn't Michael Jackson sing a song (laughs) about that? You know, the man in the mirror. In other words, look at yourself, you know, because— I used to sit there and, you know, when I'd go and talk to Dr. Dossi and I'd sit there and go, yeah, you know, and, and I'd say certain things about certain people and he'd say, Richard, he says, you really like to point your finger. Mm-hmm. And when he gave me the analogy and he says, point your finger at me. And he goes, how many are pointed back? You know, and I was like, wow, really take responsibility for yourself. He said, the meaning of the communication in most cases mm-hmm. is the response you get, not your intent. Mm-hmm. You can have great intentions and get a shitty response. Yeah. So what's the real meaning of your communication? So I always sit there and go like, wow. I always think about, wow. I might not be able to do it at the time, but I, I'm always reflecting. Mm-hmm. And I've told students, I said, look, you'll see me get excited in class. That's not about you. It's about my own inability to, to give you what it is that I really want to give you. My lack of being able to transfer it. That's yeah. right. Transfer it. I said, that's my issue, not yours. Yeah. Because the truth of the matter, that is the truth. Yeah. If you're not getting it, it's, it's my fault. That's right. Yeah. I, I want to take responsibility. So mm-hmm. when Horian first told me that, like, you know, because there's a story I, in the book where I'm crying it, yeah. when I couldn't do the move and Horian said, there's no such thing as a bad student. And in a private class, it's much, much easier mm-hmm. because I'm there to give you feedback. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about that where people read your book and they're like, well, you're not like that with me. And you're like, well, dude, this was a private class, not a class with multiple students in there where I have to deal with the whole class, you know? And it's like, yeah, doing those privates with him, you were able to get that individual attention. Right. Now put your hand up one more time. There you go. (laughs) Still a little polarity, right? Yeah. But still you kind of like, so, Mm -hmm. but if, if I were to do that with other people, People, they kind of yeah, like, they push, yeah. that's right. They push and no one asks them to. So it's, it's kind of the, but the more you're doing that with somebody, like giving immediate feedback, mm-hmm. because people would always remark when I would be showing a move to somebody, like two people showing a move. And I had a, a, a guy that's been with me for a long time. It's a purple belt. And he always helps me always working with the person who's not that good. Mm-hmm. You know, when they start out, you know, and he's the first one to jump in he would try to get them to do a move. And he goes, he would call me, Richard, can you do that? I, I just can't get them. And I'd go over there and I'd show them the move and they'd get it the first time. Mm-hmm. And he goes, how do you do that? I said, you know, having Horian as a teacher over and over again, I don't know at what point it just became part of yeah. me, but I know how to position myself so it wastes less time. Mm-hmm. I know how to be that partner that you need where the average person, they're trying to learn the art themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to place themselves to make you do the move easier and then slowly make it harder on you. It's, that is an art. Teaching is an art. Just because a person mm-hmm. gets a black belt doesn't mean yeah, they're a teacher. Yeah. yeah, because it's like there's people that um, Customato who trained Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson says, like, there's no record of this guy ever fighting. You know what I mean? So it's like I don't even – Mike Tyson doesn't even know if Cuss ever even fought professionally. Or if he, he has no record to fight him, but this guy w- uh, was a hell of a teacher. Just because you're good at a sport or anything, it doesn't mean that you're going to be a good teacher because teaching in itself is its own art. 
And I think that, you know, that's what like your niche is because like when you read your book, like you see how like a lot of people could do like these tournaments and stuff, but like you really fell in love with teaching. I felt, you know, one, I had Horian as a private teacher for mm -hmm. easily 10 years. That's crazy. And then I was one of four that went through the instructor program, mm -hmm. the first instructor program at the Gracie Academy in 93. But I started teaching before them because I was with them. I kind of knew it. But then we formally to go through the instructor program. I remember Horian would always come and ask us a question when we were together. And I was always the last one to answer mm -hmm. because I wanted to see if the other guys knew. I knew what Horian wanted. Yeah. So he didn't ask questions and they'd kind of like, well, and then they'd look over at me and I'd have the answer. I just, I knew what it was. I knew the mentality. Yeah. yeah. And I'd helped. Steve Maxwell, who went through the instructor program after, who's a black belt under Helson, who's mm -hmm. a sixth degree, he would always come out and work with me because I knew how to get him passed so he could pass the, mm -hmm. the exam because it, it was just, it became my thing. I loved teaching. I loved teaching privately. It's harder on my body. Mm -hmm. It's easier to bypass that other kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, but teaching in itself, one, to have that kind of a, a teacher and then to fall in love with it is just, you know. How many people have you seen, like, from white belt to black belt? I, I have never promoted a person to black belt. I think the most I've promoted is, is purple because I was in a Krav Maga gym. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, what they would do is they would come there and I'd ignite their fire. And then they'd go to, they'd a, go to a different school. Gotcha. And I gave many blue belts and gave a, a few... Mm -hmm few purple belts. What was Chris like when you first time? Did he pick it up really quick? Chris, I mean, li like what he told you, he, uh -huh. he, I called him the sponge. Wow. Because he was a, I'm I remember. trying to figure out how to tie the belt. <laughs> I remember he, that the sweep, the sit up hip bump sweep. Uh-huh. The bottom part fall out. It's okay. Yeah. Don't worry about it here. Anyways, the hip bump sweep. And all of a sudden, I remember I showed it to him and he pulled it off during sparring the first time going like, geez, how the hell did he do uh -huh. that? Wow. You know, so Chris was very, he, he just, he could absorb things, mm -hmm. you know, and just, just a really conscientious student, you know, as well as a good guy. Yeah. I love Chris. Me too. You know, so. All right. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. The book is called Worth Defending. It's on Amazon. And uh, anything else you want to plug in or say? Um, a lot of people that have read like it right now, I happen to see it's got 249 or 248 five-star reviews. Awesome. So many people have reached out, especially the, at higher levels, mm -hmm. just to say how they relate the same way you did. It's a great book. It's got an excellent story. And if you've read it already, I'm sure a lot of people have said also they gave a copy to their friends, bought a copy for their friends, awesome. or at least encouraged them. But anyways, thank hey, you for Thank you so much, Richard. It's a pleasure down. meeting you. Absolutely. Pleasure's mine. Thank you. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.